Ahoy, and welcome in to another exciting episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Magler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health. And alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-tooth Patterdale Terrier. And Mariska is resting comfortably today. It was a little hotter than we expected, so we went out for our walk just before the podcast. Uh, a lot of tongue lolling. What you're not hearing is a lot of paw licking, and we all know what that means. That means you, our listeners, have done a good job of continuing to rate and review the podcast, finding that five stars. And if you could throw a couple comments in there as well, that would be amazing. Less than five-star reviews, not as necessary. Um, so, you know, you can keep those. If you have a question for Mariska or for me, you can always email me at daniel.magler, that's M-A-I-G-L-E-R, at live.com. So today I am incredibly excited because we're going to be talking to a guest who might be on multiple times because there's a lot of mental health topics that um, she has some experience with. Kristen, I met about 17 years ago, I guess, and was a, an OG member of Team Magler. And Team Magler is what I call my students, the people that I work with. And what's great about my job, and I always say to the people I work with that Team Magler is for life. And so the vast majority of the people that I work with, they go off and they forget all about me. And they're like, oh, I think in high school or something, I knew somebody. But occasionally, I'll stay in touch with people. And sometimes that remains a professional connection relationship where I might still be their therapist or advisor, but sometimes it evolves into more of a friendship. And Kristen is the kind of person that as we stayed in touch over the years, uh, a friend of mine and I started trying to start a business and Kristen was one of the first people I decided to reach out to, to say, hey, can you help us get this going and off the ground? And so when I wanted to have a conversation with someone, and we've talked about the idea that I'd be using the podcast sometimes to learn about topics that I really am not as expert in. And I thought about who do I know who understands the mental health treatment experience, but is also a mom and has gone through the process of, you know, deciding to have children and having going through pregnancy and childbirth and everything. And while also negotiating your mental health, I needed to get an expert and someone who's actually been through it. So Kristen, um, would you like to share anything about so who you're, you have some children? So what would you like to tell us about them? Yeah. So first I want to say I am definitely not an expert. I <laughs> have lots of experience, um, but I am definitely still winging it. And when I um, decided to have children, I was winging it. And so um, I have three children. I have Lois, who just turned three. And then I have Robin, who is 16 months old and Bruce, who will be five months old in a couple days. Um, so we so are I very have... appreciative that you are taking the time and they might be waking up from naps at any particular time. So that's also <laughs> podcast listener, be aware of that. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have three children, three and under. And then I also have four fur friends in my house. I have um, two cats and two dogs. So um, I, I kind of did my best to make sure everyone's tired out and napping, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this goes. So when you were younger and you started, you know, down the mental health treatment path, because your childhood was not exactly um, the storybook childhood, did you ever, did you always know you wanted to be a mom or did you ever think, yeah, I don't know if, you know, with just depression, anxiety, things like that, if being, if that's for me. So first of all, how did you decide, like, when did you know or decide that about the idea of motherhood? So I think I always wanted to be a mom, but, um, you know, 
this this narrative that depression and anxiety tell you is I won't be able to bond. I won't be able to do things differently. I will be stuck in the same cycles that I was raised in or that my parents were raised in or that I saw around me. Um, and so I wasn't like I wanted to be a mom, but I wasn't ever sure I would be because, um, you know, like I, I do have some mental health uh, struggles that I continue to face. And also, um, you know, I really was worried that if I was a parent, I would just be one of those terrible parents who would never be around or who would be so off the charts that I wouldn't be able to be a consistent presence. And I, I'm not going to lie. I still worry that I'm going to mess up or that I'm going to mess them up. I had a freak out last night with one of my best friends about what happens if I mess them up. And well, the I mean, good news, the good news is I can absolutely guarantee you that you will mess up they will be messed up by you because that is what happens to all children from all parents. So there is a 0% chance that you will not mess up in some way. And we all as parents just need to be shooting for a B. That's, that's what I'm looking for. But the advantage that you have over so many others is that you are already being introspective and trying to measure yourself. And when we find those parents who are really doing damage, it's the ones who are never questioning. So just the fact that you're questioning it all and wondering and wanting to do a good job with it, you're you're already in the better category of that. So I think we can hopefully put that one at ease that you're going to you are not going to be perfect, but you are going to be better than most. That's what I try for every day. I try to make <laughs> this day better than the last. And you know what? If at the end of the day I go, you know what? I messed up big time today. I always am like, well, if I got a two percent today, that leaves nowhere to go but up. So. Um, you know, there are days where I, I have no idea what any of my three children need and we just have rough days. And, uh, that's just part of being a parent. I've learned no one ever gets it right. A hundred percent of the time. I remember the first time I really saw like Brooke Shields and it was a, you know, some people might be too young to know who Brooke Shields was, but she was a, an actress who was really famous. And she was the first person I ever heard talking openly about postpartum depression. And the reality is even for people who don't have postpartum depression, the hormonal ups and downs, post-pregnancy, pre -preg during pregnancy. So even if a person never had any mental health condition, it's crucial and it's important that they do. Gynecologists and OBGYNs are asking some of those questions now of, are you feeling okay? Are you needing some help and support? Because the healthiest person ever, you, you, you are going through a major life event with all of this. But then particularly if you've already had some predispositions towards mental health conditions, it's got to be really scary. Yeah. So my, my pregnancy journey started way before I got pregnant because, um, probably about six years ago now I was inpatient hospitalized, uh, at two different hospitals. The first one did a terrible job. Um, and then a couple days later I went to another one that was a better fit and, uh, while there, they diagnosed me with bipolar two disorder and having been a student in mental health and my partner also had worked in a mental health wing, uh, we both felt that was the wrong diagnosis, but it had me evened out. It had me pretty stable. Mm -hmm. um, but then I noticed the longer I was on these medications, the more numb I felt and the more flat my affectation was and the more disinterested I was becoming. And I said, you know what, this is a problem. 
And I went to my psychiatrist at the time and I said, hey, um, this is flattening me out. And she said, yeah, but you're not having the highs and lows. And I was like, I'm not having anything at all. Like, I don't, I don't feel anything. And she said, well, as a bipolar too, um, that's probably safer. And I said, uh, no, I'm not into that. And I said, also, at some point I want to have a baby. And she looked me straight in the face at this appointment and said, I don't support bipolar two women having babies. And I got up and I walked out of her office and I never went back. And I started that day looking, I called my, I called my therapist. She's been with me for, I don't know, eight, nine years now. And, um, I called her and I said, Hey, I need to find a new psychiatrist. I'm going to start looking. If I send you a list, will you look through them? And she said, absolutely. And I did very detailed, intensive research of every psychiatrist in the area of Chicago. So within a two hour radius, who was accepting new patients, who dealt with treating women who had been diagnosed with PTSD and bipolar disorder, and also who had anxiety and depression. And I found a woman who was amazing. And so I called and I said, hey, I'd like to make an appointment with this doctor. And they said, we don't take your insurance. And I said, that's fine. I will self-pay. Mm-hmm. I This is the doctor I want to see. Um, and then when I got on my husband's insurance, she was in fact covered. So that was great. Um, and this doctor, we went through the whole history. We took three or four different sessions, which is pretty atypical in my experience with psychiatrists. She took um, three or four one-hour sessions to like get my whole history, listen to my whole story, all of my diagnoses, my entire history of medications, treatments, talk therapies, hospitalizations. And she said, you know what? I think you're 100% right. I don't think you're bipolar. I I think you may have had a trauma response to coming out of a surgery and your body didn't know how to heal and you freaked out a little. But I think we can get you off of these medications and see what your new normal is. When it's so important that, you know, people would think, oh my gosh, I had to do four sessions with this person, but that's actually a really good sign where we know we're not dealing with too many psychiatrists are really spending only about 15 minutes with a patient. And then they're just deciding, oh, I know what you are. I know what this is. And I think, Things like PTSD and trauma responses can very well, they can mimic quite a bit a lot of the symptoms of bipolar. So for a psychiatrist, what they're looking for when they're thinking bipolar is, is this person really having a lot of trouble with sleep? Are they having energy that's more than their body can handle? Well, sometimes if you have trauma response, you're going to be showing a lot of those same symptoms. And just so people who are listening who don't know the difference, bipolar one means a person who can have manic episodes, their periods of really high energy where they will sometimes disconnect from reality and see have delusions, delusions and hallucinations. In bipolar two, people can have the really low lows and they may have high energy periods, but they never have the delusions and hallucinations. So it's, but I mean, listening to your level of dedication to finding someone who would actually listen to you, that's what I hope everyone takes away from this is it isn't always easy to find that person. And you may unfortunately have to pay out of pocket, especially as you get started, but it can be life, it can be transformational. And, and this truly was for me, me finding a doctor who said, you know what, I believe you. And like, the, so the plan was because I was on some really heavy hitting medication 
and mm -hmm. I was on heavy doses, which is why I didn't feel anything. So this makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense, right? Because if if I was having really big highs and really low lows, yeah, we kind of want to chop off the peaks of those. But I I just couldn't feel anything anymore. And so we titrated off of those. It took about a month and a half for me to titrate off of those medications. And I started on, I don't know, some Wellbutrin or something, something that was like, hey, this will help definitely with depression, probably some anxiety, and let's continue to explore here to see what will work. And I said, I said in my like initial sessions with her, I said, I want you to know I need to get off of this medication because I want to have a baby and I understand that these medications are not safe for me to have a baby on. So if you're not on board with that, I will find a different doctor. And she said, no, mm -hmm. I fully support that. And I just think that we need to be very careful in pregnancy um, because with your trauma history and with your chronic pain, which is another thing um, that I have to deal with, she was like, I, I just really think we need to monitor your mood and you need to definitely stay in therapy and we need to have more follow-ups than I typically would with other people. And so once I got off the medication and I found a somewhat stable feeling, I said, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna try now. We're gonna, we're gonna take away the birth control and see what happens. And Lois happened. <laughs> and so when you were, did you use the same gynecologist that you had previously as your OBGYN or did you find somebody new once you realized you were pregnant? Okay, so, so that that's same? a that's a really strange story because I had gotten new insurance and I was establishing care with a new doctor because I thought we were having fertility issues. Okay. And I went in and I said, hey, I don't really know why I can't get pregnant. I don't really know what's going on, but we've been trying and I got off birth control and, you know, like this is something we really want. And I just, I guess I need you to do some hormone testing or something to see if there's something wrong with me. Um, mm -hmm. Because we had been trying and like tracking things and whatnot for several months. And because of anxiety and depression, I was convinced I was broken. So uh, <laughs> in order to keep that stress from killing me, we just went to a doctor and in the office, she said, uh, well, you're not uh, getting pregnant because you are in fact already pregnant. So congratulations. My husband and I dropped everything <laughs> we were news. holding and we were like, well, that's not exactly what we expected, especially because two weeks before that I had gotten in a very bad car crash. I had oh, totaled no. my van and in the ER, they said, is there any chance you're pregnant? And I said, well, I, I mean, I'm not on birth control and I have a husband and we are mm -hmm. sexually active. So I suppose there is that chance. And it came back not positive. And I promise mm -hmm. you with the pain I was in, we did not at any point have sexual relations in that two weeks. So um, I, I, it had been a new doctor in a new group, but it wasn't because I was pregnant that I found her. Again, she was someone who had just come very highly recommended for both fertility treatments and delivery. And she was also um, well-versed in mental health education. That's, and, and that's incredible. And it's something that you would think 
oh, it's automatic that a person who is a gynecologist or whatnot would would know about mental health, would know about things like trauma. But it's shocking how little educate unless if unless they seek it out. They're in medical school. They're not giving them this kind of education. So you have to find someone who is willing to educate themselves and care about this. Now, did your do you know if your psychiatrist and your gynecologist did they ever consult with each other, or was it pretty much no? I just picked a gynecologist, uh, an OBGYN, who I I felt comfortable really could understand the like medications and the process. So I signed all of the releases. I am very much a, if my whole medical team can work together, I want them to. And so I signed releases for my psychiatrist, my therapist, and my gynecologist to all be able to talk if they saw any abnormalities um, or if they had any concerns. And then, um, you know, we would tackle it as a team as opposed to me having to kind of relay part of what I understood to someone else. I said, you know what, if you need to ask questions, if you have concerns, if you think that this would be something my therapist should tell me instead of you, that's cool. Just um, here are the releases. Here's the way to contact them. I don't care who you talk to. Um, I just, you know, I really want the best continuation of care because I cannot go off of medicine. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so I we, was on oh, I was on a couple really like something that was considered very um, low risk during pregnancy. Nothing is considered 100% safe, um, even Tylenol, you know, like we mm -hmm. the fear is that anything could mess up your baby. But um, the truth is and, and what I what I learned through my psychiatrist is the stress of me not being medicated could be mm -hmm. eight times worse than probably any of the side effects of what I was taking. And I said, you know what, you're right. And she said, also, if you go into the hospital, the amount of stress that puts on your baby, you know, if you have another mm -hmm. episode or something where you get triggered, you being hospitalized like that is not going to do any favors to your baby or your hormones or anything. So I I chose to remain medicated the whole time. And people often talk about hormones as if they're always just a bad thing. But I guess in the period of time from your pregnancy um, through the first year of Lois being alive, what was the best, like, was there any spots where you were saying, I'm feeling amazing from a mental health standpoint? Or was it, you know, just up and down? Or like, were there any memories that you're like, this, I wasn't expecting this good feeling at any point. So not really with Lois. I have, I realized looking back after I had Robin, my second, um, that I probably had had some postpartum that I didn't even recognize with Lois. Mm -hmm. um, but like after Robin, I was like, man, I feel great. I'm amazing. I'm on top of the world. I am a champion. <laughs> I have birthed two beautiful babies and Lois was like a really small baby. She was five pounds, five ounces. And Robin came out at almost nine pounds. Now I'm a oh five gosh. foot tall woman. And so that little bowling ball of a baby coming out of me uh, was rough. But after that, I was like, man, I can do anything. I literally think I could probably fly if I needed to. And I was, <laughs> I was still very grounded, very in touch with reality, but I felt so good. And I went, Oh my gosh. That first four months, that first five months with Lois, I think I had postpartum because I would just, 
I would just have days where I, I just didn't want to look at her or I didn't want to hold her or the fear of being a bad parent would just keep me from even going near her. And then there were other days where like I was sleeping outside of her door so that I could hear if she cried in the crib or I would mm -hmm. even like sleep in the room. It was, I, I couldn't realize that there was probably signs of postpartum depression and anxiety. Cause again, they weren't as bad as anything I had experienced before. So relative, so again, there was, there were struggles, but they compared to the other struggles that you'd had in your life, it was not out of bounds from that. How about like throughout the process, you said you were still sticking with your therapist and were you guys communicating pretty regularly? Was What was the key for you? And what, you know, as you've now gone through pregnancy two and pregnancy three, what have you de determined for yourself? Like, this is what I need to do to support my mental health throughout the process. So uh, my journey with mental health, as a, as a listener, as an avid listener of the podcast, the only time I've ever disagreed with you is when you said, I don't think anyone ever needs lifelong therapy. And I think I will, I will go to bat saying, I am probably one of those people who will always need lifelong therapy because I have a lot of triggers and I have a lot of things and especially now with kids, new things come up every day where I'm like, my kid just hit me in the face. That's a huge, I just had a big reaction to that and I need to process that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I did check in with my therapist definitely every two weeks, if not every week. Um, and it was, it was just, that was just how I did it. And the talk therapy really helped. And I think knowing that I had like a big team behind me who really believed in me, my gynecologist and my psychiatrist and my therapist, and then also my partner and my family, you know, they were all really there to watch out for me and help in any way I needed. Well, I think not that there's any advantage to having been through so much stuff beforehand, but we, I always say, you know, it's not what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but it does make you wiser. And the fact that you already were open with people that you can struggle at times. So it wasn't a big secret and you didn't necessarily, if, if you were to have some emotional times, it wouldn't have felt like a gigantic failure any more than, I mean, internally, I'm sure it does, but the, the fact that people knew to look out and to communicate with you. So are there other things though, that you've said, okay, I also know that even like exercise might be hard, but I know I need to do that. Or what else like has kept, keeps you on it or kept you on an even keel or the as most even keel as possible? Or was it just self-compassion and knowing I might not be on an even keel today and that's all right. So what, you know, what worked for you? I mean, it was all of that. Um, I have found that my diet significantly, uh, impacts how I feel. And when I say diet, I don't mean like I only eat carrots and celery, blah, 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 blah. I mean, any nutrients that I consume and even any things that I consume that don't have nutrients. If I have mm -hmm. a day or a week where I drink a lot of beer or a lot of wine or a lot of uh, sugary drinks like Coke, or I don't get enough water a couple days in a row or enough sleep, like those are all things I've noticed really affect my mental health. I need seven to eight hours of sleep every night. I can function off of five, but if I do that two days in a row, the third day is horrendous. Watch out. You don't want to be around me. It doesn't matter what I took. I'm, I'm just really cranky. So um, that's definitely one of them. And exercise was the other one. So I've, um, 
I've had eating disorders in the past and um, I knew that the change in my body would really affect me. And so I, I made sure that I at least knew that I was still strong and capable and that even though my body was changing, it was because my body was also becoming strong and capable to grow a human. And so I knew, I, I knew that my body was changing, but my body was changing in the same way that my body changed, um, you know, when I started eating again, you know, it, it was, mm -hmm. it was looking different because it was being healthy. It was being a healthy body. When I was talking to one of my clients who she's currently struggling with an eating disorder, but she's hopeful. She really wants to be a mom. And she's saying, I think I'm going to be okay because I'm so excited about my, I know my body will be changing, but it's going to be doing this incredible thing. And I might be able to give myself some more self-love and self-compassion because I'm so proud of what my body's able to do. I'm guessing there are days when you can do that and tell yourself that. And there's days when <laughs> that doesn't feel like a good enough answer to you. Is that how it feels now? Definitely postpartum. It is very hard some days to look in the mirror. Um, I, I mean, I had three babies in three years. My body is never going to look the way it did in high school and college. It might get back to my pre-pregnancy normal. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I will probably always have a little bit of a saggy tummy. I will probably always have stretch marks. But the cool thing is, like, I've decided if that's the case, then I'm just going to wear it proudly. Because you know what? I... For a long time, I had convinced myself I would not be able to bond with babies. I would not be able to have babies. And I did something that not many people are crazy enough to do. And I had three kids in three years. So, you know what? Yeah, my, my body looks a little different. And most days, I tell myself that my youngest baby is not even five months old yet. And I need to be kind. Some Absolutely. days it doesn't work. And some days, you know, like I just don't look in the mirror and it's okay. It's okay. Because other days I'm like, wow, all these stretch marks will look real cool if I tattoo them like zebra stripes. What? And I hope that you can imagine them like medals of honor from a battle that you've been through because you've earned those and they are something that you've, you know, you should be proud of. And I hope that that's the way on the better days you can feel. If, if you had a time machine and you could go back to that day after you left the doctor's office and you found out you were pregnant, is there any advice that you would give that younger version of you to say more of this, less of that? Um, I think my big thing would have been, um, I would have probably read a little bit more because I was very scared that reading more would make me more anxious. So I didn't mm -hmm. read a whole lot about the different presentations of postpartum psychosis and postnatal depression and postpartum anxiety. I just, I didn't read a whole lot about it. I kind of had a general overview and like the way that they talked to you at the doctor, but I'd probably have read a little bit more about that. So I could have recognized some of the signs earlier. But I think then, I was pretty kind to myself during pregnancy. So that's one of the things you'd say, hey, that that tendency to be whenever you're thinking that you need to be kind to yourself, give yourself a double scoop of kindness, because that's what you're really going to need through this. Yes. Okay. And then 
were there any other surprises that were, especially in that first year after, you know, Lois was born that where you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting, like, I know for a lot of women, like lactation and things like that, like breastfeeding is, you know, I think for my wife, she was not prepared for how challenging that would be or whatnot. So were there any other things that you were just like, oh, I wasn't expecting this to feel this way. Or, you know, I'd like, why doesn't anybody tell you about that? That you're just like, ah, I wish I would have known. Yeah, there was a lot. Um, <laughs> breastfeeding was uh, a very long struggle for me. But I did, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I started going to um, low late league meetings, which um, is like a group of women who get together, who are passionate about breastfeeding. Um, and I went while I was still pregnant so that I could kind of understand and think about things. However, I had a bilateral breast reduction surgery in 2017. It was life-changing. However, what I didn't understand then when I got that surgery was that that would probably severely impact my ability to produce milk, feed milk, mm. and... Um, like I, I couldn't even get much from a pump just because my production was low because of all of the trauma to the breast tissue and the milk ducts themselves. So um, I, I had a lot of sadness about that. that. That made me feel really guilty that I had done that, but it still was the best decision for me and I don't regret it at all. Um, and I've been fortunate to be able to find or purchase uh, human donor milk. So um, that is an avenue out there. If anyone's listening and you're wondering like, oh my gosh, I can buy human breast milk. Yes. Yes, you can. There are plenty of places you can go. Most hospitals have a milk bank they can send you to. Tiny Treasures Milk Bank is one um, for like NICU babies. Um, mm -hmm. But there's there's just a whole bunch of other options out there. And I I struggled a lot not being able to properly breastfeed because for a long time I pumped, which is also still breastfeeding, and mm -hmm. someone else would feed my baby a bottle because that was that was the hardest part, I think, was I didn't like giving my baby a bottle. And so um, everyone else was more than happy to do that, though. So um, once I stopped pumping... I started feeling so much better and so much less depressed and so much less anxious because every time I would, I would pump, I would get half an ounce, maybe an ounce out of both breasts, which is remarkably low, no matter how yeah, much not I enough pumped, to feed a baby. So, and that's, yeah. And this, your body, you're doing all that you can do, but unfortunately you're feeling like your body is not like coming up to it and it's making you feel like a failure when you when you're when you're doing everything you can so it's like it's I, I horrible... once again felt like something was broken in me something was wrong with me and my body was failing me once again and that was something i worked through in therapy and um you know when i went back to the gym again lo and behold my body wasn't failing my body was ready mm -hmm. it was ready to bounce back it was ready to thrive it just didn't do the one thing so well. And you know what? That's okay. Cause there are plenty of people who make way more milk than they ever need. And mm -hmm. they're happy to donate it or sell it to you or 
Um, you know, like a few times I would be over at my friend's houses and like my kids would feed off of other people. And I was like, I have no problem with this. This is natural. It's a natural occurring thing. Right. It's, so it's I, way more natural than giving a child cow's milk, you know, or absolutely. wet nursing has been, you know, since the dawn of time, it's something that's been done, you know, for all throughout humanity, because from the dawn of time, there've always been women who naturally breastfeeding wasn't the easiest thing for them. So someone else in their village or their group would do that. But again, it's something that I found has been just not talked about anywhere near enough. And the degree to which that can impact people's confidence and feeling of like, I'm, you know, bond with their baby. It, it, you know, again, I just don't hear enough people talking about that. There are plenty of other ways to bond with your baby if you are not able to directly breastfeed your baby. Um, and mm -hmm. someone else, if, if you choose to go with a wet nurse or if you choose to use someone else's milk, that baby doesn't create a bond to them. Okay. Like mm -hmm. that would be like saying I have a bond to my oven. I mean, I like my oven, mm -hmm. but it doesn't poof, make me food without me putting food in it. Like it, my oven's cool, but it's the food that I like. It's the person giving me the food. I like it. So you know, I, I do think that there should definitely be more, more talk about breastfeeding as a whole for women, but that's a different podcast and a much <laughs> yeah. different episode. So do you say to yourself, like you've said, I, Hey, I hope someday my body will be to a point where, you know, theoretically my pre-pregnancy body or whatnot, or just, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. How about with your, just your sense of mental health and well-being? I mean, just having three kids under the age of five, I mean, let alone as young as yours are, I think that's something that anyone should get a medal for. So do you say to yourself like, okay, until my kid, until my youngest is at least in first grade, I'm allowed to feel just overwhelmed pretty much every day, at least for an hour a day. Or like what, what, what is your baseline for saying when you're, when are you expecting yourself to feel kind of um, healthy and on top of the world as a mom with so many young kids? Yeah, so 17 years have passed, and I still don't know that I always believe all of the things that you tried teaching, but <laughs> I have gotten to the point where I have understood that it is totally okay to feel not okay sometimes, and if it was a rough day with the kids, that's fine. At the end of the day, my three-year-old can still look at me and say, I love you, mama. If her sibling is crying, or even with Robin, if Bruce is crying, Robin will go over and try and give him his passy or pat his head to make him feel better. And every day I try and find those tiny moments, even if they're just fractions of a day, I go, you know what? I must not be doing bad because I have caring kids. I have healthy kids. I have happy kids. Was today the best day we've ever had? No. Maybe it'll be the worst, and that's okay, too, because at the end of the day, we still got some wins. We had genuine moments of connection, and that's got to be enough for today. And there are some days where, like, I take all three kids out to eat. I'm wearing one. One's eating nicely by themselves. I'm feeding the other one. And, like, I am on top of the world. People look at me like, oh, my gosh, she's a superhuman. My... My stroller barely fits in my mom van because it fits three <laughs> children. And people look at me when I'm pushing it like, oh, my God. And every time I'm like, yep, I am totally that person. And 
I, I think there will always be moments of overwhelm. And I've told myself pretty much exactly what you said. First grade, I, you know, I'll probably still be overwhelmed at that point too, but I try to always remind myself and my other mom friends, I'm lucky to have a group of mom friends who all have similarly aged kids. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what? If the dishes don't get done, no one dies. Mm -hmm. If the laundry didn't get folded, it's still clean. Also, if you can't remember if you ran the dishwasher and you're not sure, you can always run it again. It's, it's not a big deal. It's not great for the environment, but neither is diapers or smoking or hairspray. And plenty of people still do those things. So whatever. So if you were giving a message to someone who was saying like, okay, I don't know, like they're in their early 20s and they're thinking, I don't know if I can, like, what, is there any group, of, is there any person you would say, okay, that you here's when you definitely shouldn't. Like, here's how you know if you're not mentally healthy enough to start pregnancy. What would you say to somebody about that? Like, or when they shouldn't, or would you say, hey, no, if you want to, you can do it. So there are lots of people who say, I'm not ready. And I, I want you to know, I don't think you're ever ready. I don't think, I think with most of the big decisions in life, you kind of just have to do it scared. Mm-hmm. Okay, like I don't think you ever look at it and go, yeah, this is a great ideal time to change everything about my life, everything about my hormones, everything about my work situation, my living situation. I think I think now is a good time. However, I think you also should look at the lifestyle you are used to. If you are someone who likes to go out multiple nights a week, um, drinking or just staying out all night or whatever and using other substances it might not be the best time for you to have a baby i understand you might want one but until you're ready to make that lifestyle change i don't know that i think pregnancy is a great option because i think losing your independence like that could really make someone resentful of a baby and that's where feelings of postpartum will come in. And that's where uh, people have problems bonding. And that's where, um, you know, sometimes you see grandparents or aunts raising someone else's baby because their parent just couldn't be there. And so, you know, uh, a baby's not a toy. You know, it's not a Tamagotchi. Well, it kind of is mm -hmm. a real Tamagotchi, but it, you know, it really does die if you don't take care of it. So um, if you're not ready to change certain things about the way you live, also, if you have like really expensive, like crystal glassware that you want to use every day, you know what? A kid's going to break that. My, my kids break things that are supposed to be unbreakable. Like I, they're little wrecking balls and I love them. But, you know, if you have, if you're used to having very nice white things, you might want to get to the point where you can look at a blue couch because it's going to end up with marker on it anyway. Right. And it's, it's, so it's step one, you have to be willing to say, I, I can still have a life, but the, my number one priority all the time is going to be the, what's best for my child, their safety and their well-being. And then my, I can still have needs. I can still have fun, but that has to come secondary. 
So if they're that bad, but then again, you're saying a, a person can still be on medication. They just need to work with someone. And what I'm picking Absolutely. up from you is as long as you are, it's, it's going to take, and this is not for just for people with mental health issues. This is for anybody. You're going to need a network. And if you don't have a you know, biological family around you, you're going to need, whether it's friends or whatever else, to keep you, I kind of imagine a person who's mountain climbing. You need somebody on belay. And so if you're a person who has had mental health struggles, it sounds like in your case, you said, I'm going to have my therapist. I'm going to have my psychiatrist. I'm going to have, you know, all of these people kind of on belay, keeping me from falling. On those days when I'm ready to let go and fall, they're going to have my back. They're going to be my spotter. Yeah, I think... Um... I think the only thing I would have maybe tried to find would have been another person with a similar situation like me who had gone through pregnancy. Looking back, I probably should have done that. Luckily, I've been able to be that for a lot of my friends who saw me do it and went, oh my God, I think I can do that. Because they were like, maybe I'm too effed up. Maybe. Maybe I'm too broken. Maybe I'm too effed up. Maybe my history of using drugs or my history of being hospitalized or my lack of a good relationship with my parents, like maybe that means I shouldn't be a parent. And then they looked at me and they did it. They saw I did it and they were like, you know what? I think I can do it. Can you tell me how you did it? Can you help me? And so I was happy to be there for them. So I think you know, in building a network, um, and you've talked about logical family not being, or biological family not always being the same as your logical family. And, you know, it's okay to include whoever you want in your pregnancy. And it's also fine to not include anyone as long as you have a good enough network between you and your partner. So mm -hmm. I think just find what will feel supportive enough for you and go with it. Yeah, because I, and I think you made such a perfect point of, you know, for myself, every time on my high school graduation day, I didn't necessarily feel ready. When I went to college, I didn't necessarily feel ready. On my wedding day, I didn't feel ready. When we're in the ER, or I mean, the, the, you know, maternity ward, I didn't necessarily feel ready. But, you know, you look to your left and you look to your right and you say, if these other people can do it, I might be able to do it too. And so having mental health history does not disqualify you. You're just as likely as anybody else to be an amazing parent. You're just as likely as anybody else to do really dumb stuff that messes up your kids. So that that part is up to you. But people shouldn't think of having mental health history as a disqualifier. I I think it should be a qualifier, actually. I think I think most people I know who have gone through any amount of mental health struggles have a gratuitous amount of compassion. And the that's from treatment or books or inpatient things or, you know, even just other people showing them how to feel compassion. Man, that's so important as a parent. And I, I think most people with mental health problems can really, if they don't know what it is, they'll at least go, man, I'll sit with you on it. That's a tough one. And I think that's the, you know, the real goal is to start to embrace. And I talk sometimes on the show about um, the podcast uh, ADHD for smart ass women, where Tracy Otsuka, the host, really, she, she tries to show people that ADHD can be your superpower. And I think it's not just ADHD, it's depression, it's anxiety, it's all of these things can become in a way, as you're saying, 
they can be a, a, an empathy engine and making you better at some of these things. And so instead of thinking our, of ourselves, people who've had mental health challenges, they're also just enhancing our perspective. And so, yes, it might make you more challenged in one way, but stronger in another. So if you are ready to make a commitment to loving this child and you're getting your network around it, then you know, go, go forward, but make sure you're seeking out the proper support. And if you're running into medical health professionals who are shutting you down, don't stop with them. Try to find the right people who are going to be supporting you. Absolutely. Your medical team, um, you know, they are your doctors and you can at any time leave that group, leave that OBGYN, that, um, that situation and find someone else who is willing to listen to you and who wants to see you succeed. If you feel that your opinions are not being heard uh, throughout your pregnancy or even in your care with your children, I've heard of pediatricians just giving horrible and downright wrong advice. And, um, you know, if you feel that inclination, a second opinion is never a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for you know sharing your story and experience with me. And I do have a feeling that we're going to find other topics to talk about as time goes on. If any of you are listening, have questions for Kristen, uh, you know, please, you can get in touch with her through me. Um, or is there any, else, uh, any other place that you would encourage people to go, whether to find out information about pregnancy or to reach out to things that you're interested in? Um, you know, I, I'm sure you've said this on the podcast before, but like the NAMI website is mm -hmm. great. Okay. And... I think you should, if, if your question is, is your provider qualified, you can always ask them that. Mm -hmm. You can always say, hey, um, here's my situation. Have you had someone like me before? Have you dealt with someone who has severe chronic pain or a history of this? And if they say no, maybe don't disqualify them, but maybe say, okay, well, has someone in your practice? Do you have a colleague you can work with to figure this out? And that's totally, you know, that's totally fair too. Um, but yeah, I think the NAMI website is just phenomenal. That's. Well, and as they say, and again, another podcast I'll reference, My Favorite Murder, you know, fuck politeness. Yep. So stop, don't worry that you're going to offend your mental health or your uh, doctors because it's this is about your health. So, so many people are afraid to upset them or make them nervous by asking questions, but that's such an important thing. And don't worry, worry less about being polite and worry more about getting the treatment that you and your future child deserve. Well, thank, yeah. again, thank you so much for coming on. And we, I think we will do this again before too long. For all the rest of you listening, remember, if you have a question, reach out to Mariska and I at daniel.magler at live.com and do whatever it takes to get you through this world. Just remember, you are not allowed to die.